Welcome to another podcast presented by the Medical Council of New South Wales. Today's discussion is about continuity of care. How can doctors help in preventing fragmentation of care? Every entry needs to include an impression of what we think is going on so that they can see what we've been thinking and what the plan for follow-up is. And why is a GP's role so important in maintaining continuity of care? If you have a centre, then somebody's monitoring, have you had your mammogram? Or have you had your bowel cancer screen? Or what are we doing this year about your weight? Introducing today's expert panel, here is your host, Dr Annette Pantle. Hi, I'm Dr Annette Pantle, the Medical Director at the Medical Council of New South Wales. Today we will welcome three special guests. Professor Anne Duggan is the Chief Medical Officer at the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare. In her role, she identifies opportunities for collaboration across the health system and provides leadership around safety and quality in healthcare based on the latest evidence. Anne is a highly respected gastroenterologist with experience in a range of healthcare settings. She is joined by Dr Liz Miles, a Clinical Director at the Commission where she provides strategy leadership with a focus on primary and community health care. Liz is a practising family physician and she has led and established collaborative clinics for vulnerable groups, such as the Bungie Bidgel Aboriginal Health Clinic. She is a past president of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. And thirdly, Dr Carly Kim is a medico-legal advisor working at MDA National where she provides medico-legal advice and support to doctors and practices. She has a background in general practice and has also previously worked as a GP supervisor and medical educator. Thank you all for joining me today. Professor Duggan, in an ideal world, how would continuity of care be managed? Well, I think that the GP really should be something that everyone has somebody that they relate to, someone who they can go to and who will actually basically uh, look after their patch, explain to them what's going on throughout the journey when perhaps more and more illnesses occur and some chronic illnesses occur, then there's somebody who is coordinating care. And so therefore when people are being sent to a specialist, we can have the confidence that the specialist knows who to write back to knows how to engage the patient in their care and ensure that, that both the GP and the patient know what's going on. But particularly, I think the, the ideal is to have a, one general practitioner who is there, preferably there throughout your uh, life journey, who actually understands you and understands the complexity, and not only the medical but the social, because it is the psychosocial that's, that is in, uh, it's important. So continuity of care needs lots of good communication, but clarity about who's taking responsibility for what and who's leading and who's coordinating. Okay, so it sounds like the relationship between doctor and patient's important, but as well communicating well and knowing what we're responsible for are both really important factors. Dr Miles, what other principles are there? Yeah, well, look, I'd agree with you, Anne. I think ideally every every person should have a GP that they know and that they trust and that they can go to with any problem that they like. I think that's harder for people to achieve these days because there are lots of GPs working part-time, there are lots of medical centres that have a different sort of uh, approach, maybe walk-ins rather than appointments. But 
even in that context, I think the value that you get out of general practice is where there's an established relationship and that doctor actually knows the person really well because then you know whether there's someone who is likely to come in at the drop of a hat whenever they get a little ache or pain or whether they only come in when there's something really serious going on and you also understand the context of their life and whether they have a lot of issues at home, financial issues, other things that may be barriers to them being able to look after their health or follow through on your recommendations. So what makes continuity of care challenging for us in today's world? And do you want to pick up on that? Yes, and I think that we all very much appreciate we live in a modern world where there's fantastic health care. And we've achieved that by specialising in some ways. There's been a whole lot of technology and people have subspecialised so they can become experts in areas. So that's fantastic when we've got a really complex or difficult problem. We can go to someone who only deals with that problem and you'll get great advice. But there's a price to be paid for that if we don't manage it. And that is that healthcare becomes split up. There's not communication. So no longer is there somebody who's looking after the whole patient you know, the person who's just expert in the right arm is dealing with the right arm because that's their area of expertise, that's, that's their brief in many ways. So if we don't have good GP as the centre of care and good communication, then we are not mitigating the risks we've created by having super specialisation. Thanks. I think that's really important. I recall as a female GP in a town of all male GPs that I did a lot of the women's health care, I was very aware that I was only fulfilling one part of the patient's care and to communicate with my colleagues. And that's only a small subset of what both Liz and Anne are talking about. Kylie, from your experience, Dr Kim at MDA, what major factors do you see that contribute to fragmentation of care? I agree with what was said earlier about communication being key. So when there are multiple providers, that can become more difficult. And what we see at MDA is when patients fall through the cracks, and that can be because the provider doesn't have a complete medical history. And sometimes what can happen is a a letter might not go back to the referring GP or there might be issues with medications not being up to date. Sometimes results can be missed and there might be issues with follow-up of results and patients aren't aware that they the importance of those things being followed up. Also we might have medication issues and interactions and when there isn't a central coordinator or a shared health record we can see things being missed and also that's missed opportunities for preventive care which you would normally get with a regular GP. I think the concept of medical records being um, sometimes considered as an aid memoir for the treating doctor, that they're writing down what they think they need to remember just to trigger their memory about this patient, versus what would they need to write if they were to drop dead tomorrow or leave practice and somebody else had to pick up that patient's care? What would that next person need to know about this patient to be able to manage them properly? And I think that's some thing we often see when practitioners are referred to us and medical records are an issue, that the sparsity of medical records is around what their triggers are and what they're documenting. I think that's an important concept that 
Kylie's raised? Yeah, so I'm a, a part-time GP. I work in a practice with five regular or permanent GPs, but then we have rotating GP registrars and junior doctors as well, and they only come to us for six months at a time. So, you know, we're very mindful of the fact that our communication has to inform that other doctor within the practice about this person, and therefore every entry needs to include an impression of what we think is going on so that they can see what we've been thinking and what the plan for follow-up is so that, you know, it's very clear how we've got to that point and what we thought we were going to do next. I was just going to add to that how important it is to, when you see the patient, to go back and have a look at the previous entries before and, and see what was discussed and then also just check on any recalls or results that were pending. That's great advice. But it can sometimes be a challenge for GPs to work out who is the patient's primary carer. So when there's fragmentation and somebody's looking after the emergent issues of coughs and colds and somebody else is managing the chronic diseases and then there's a specialist or two involved, who actually is coordinating care? Liz, what can GPs do if they're unsure about this point? Well, I think the very first thing to do is to actually ask the patient. So if I have a a new patient or someone who's been in infrequently, I will ask them if they've seen other GPs in that time or whether they have a regular GP. And just to sort of clarify for me what my role is, if they're unsure, and sometimes patients are unsure, you know, they don't go to the doctor very often and they've never really had a regular doctor, then I outline for them what the role of a regular doctor is, particularly if they've got any kind of chronic disease, that you want to have just one person who's managing that and one person who has all the information and one person who is receiving all the letters and the discharge summary so that they can do the best possible job. For for small things like a cut or a cough or a cold, it doesn't really matter, but it's for those, those chronic diseases that we really need to make sure we have one person in charge. And that can be a tricky conversation, I think, because the patient's perception may be that when you're having that conversation, you're saying, I want you to come to me to be your primary doctor. So how do you have that conversation with them without them thinking that you're kind of touting for business? So I work in a practice that's associated with a hospital and we get a lot of staff coming and visiting us, many of whom might travel from 50 kilometres away. Uh, So they come in for short-term stuff. And I I find that if if I have that conversation, I ask them if they've got a regular GP and if they say, oh, yes, I usually see Dr So and so, I say, great, well, I'll make sure that when I order this test, I copy them in on it. If they say they don't have a regular GP, then I will say, well, it's good to have one. We're happy to take on that role if you want us to, but equally, you know, if you have someone else, that's fine. We just need to know who it is so we can include them in the communication. I think at the end of the day, we have to make a decision as to whether we're trying to run a sick care system or a health care system. If you're running a sick care system, you just deal with the sickness as it arises. So you can have a disconnected system. But if you want to run a healthcare system, then it's very much in the interest of the patient for their care to be connected up with a centre, being the general practitioner, with good documented communication, backwards, forwards, 
you know, left to right, whatever, but a, a seamless system. That's what healthcare is because if you have a centre, then somebody's monitoring, you know, have you had your mammogram or have you had your bowel cancer screen or what are we doing this year about your weight? You've got somebody looking after your patch, not waiting for you to get sick with the complications of obesity or whatever, there's somebody who's preventing the illness. And I think that's a much better system. And I think though we currently have a system which perhaps pays for episodes of care, the department's 10-year plan for general practice has that model of let's get back to trying to create a healthcare system. And if we think it, take that mindset, I think we'll, many of the problems with transitions of care and, and the disruptions that occur will, will, will be managed better. You know, I know that there are lots of different business models, if you like, in terms of appointment length and whether you have to make appointments or not. What I would say is that in whatever model you're working in, if you can see the same person, every 10-minute conversation adds up to that person getting to know you well. So if you have five 10-minute appointments in a year, you've spent almost an hour talking to that person uh, you don't have to go over the same stuff each time. You, you're already getting to know them. You don't need to revisit what their job is. You may already know about their family history. There are lots of bits of information that build upon each other and it can become very efficient, actually, if you see the same person every time. And they are more likely to remember and put together bits and pieces of a puzzle that previously we might have not thought were connected. Liz, I think that's a great point about it doesn't have to be dependent on the length of the conversation or the appointment doesn't indicate the quality of care that you can, over a period of time, develop a relationship. But in this world that we live in where there's a part-time of fragmentation of workforce, part-time, multiple practices or multiple doctors in the one practice seeing a patient... It's what's documented in the record that's the key to that coordination and communication. Uh, verbal handover and communication between doctors, but what they're documenting in the record that allows the next person to pick up care and know exactly what you were thinking at the time and why you ordered the tests you ordered. Would that be what you're saying there? Absolutely. I think that the quality of the record is the key to being able to look after someone else's patient within the practice. Uh, it's one of the reasons why for every person who's got a chronic disease, we want to have a GP management plan in place. And that's essentially a problem list of all of their problems, what the goals of care are for all of their problems, what the patient responsibilities are, and who all the other people involved in the, the team are and when that person is due to see them. It's a really quick and easy way for us to get up to speed. I'd also just like to make the point that if someone has been to the hospital or if they've been to see a specialist and we've got correspondence back, it's really important at that point to update the record with any new diagnoses, changes in medication uh, and to check with the patient whether they have understood what is written in the letter and uh, are following through with that. Carly mentioned uh, follow-up of results as being one of the challenges that the uh, medical indemnity insurers may see of, of cases that are coming to them. And for us as regulators, it's also concerning to hear about doctors failing to follow up on abnormal results. 
So fragmentation of care puts both doctors and patients at risk. And how should responsibility to follow up be allocated when there are multiple carers in the picture? Well, Annette, I think it's pretty clear that the person who orders the test should follow it up. They're responsible for it. And there's a number of reasons for that. That that was their decision to order it. They had a rationale for that. And they're probably in the best position to manage any abnormalities because, you know, generally you do a test because you think it's not going to be normal. Um, But I think also we should ensure that we've got the most robust system possible. So I'm a specialist. If I order a test, then when I write the letter back to the GP, I say, and I've ordered this, copy to you, but I will contact the patient uh, with the the next appointment or whatever. So there's a fallback position. The GP's getting a copy. They know that, that if it comes, they can just wait for me to send back the next letter, which says what I did with the result. But I, I think also it's really important that we involve consumers in their own care. If you're ordering a test, one would hope that you've explained to the patient why we're doing this now, uh, what might the outcome be, and what the next management step is. So that consumers can also say, hey, I went to the and had the test, as you said, and you said you'd ring me. I haven't heard a thing. And so we've got a robust system. But at the end of the day, the person who orders it really is responsible for that test. But I think going forward, uh, we should be more and more giving patients access to the results. And the My Health Records is fantastic in that regard because we have to be realistic about the fact that people move between cities, between states, and uh, you know, records may go with them, but also... Uh, it's a nice fallback position. I think also people like to monitor their own progress. So if you're on your cholesterol, cholesterol-lowering medications, you might want to keep that sort of track record so that you know how you're going. Thanks, everybody. I think that's been excellent. We've had a great discussion. I think the takeaways from today are, firstly, that medical records and documentation are crucial. They should be accurate and detailed enough so that someone else can use them to take over the patient's care. Secondly, we can minimise risks to patients by identifying their primary GP and making sure they are given information to form a holistic picture and effectively coordinate care. And thirdly, whether you're a GP or a specialist, you're responsible for following up and taking action on abnormal results of any testing you've ordered for a patient. I can just also add, Annette, that I think partnering with your patients and as consumers is also really important in involving them and making them active managers of their own care. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Professor Duggan, Dr Miles and Dr Kim, thank you for sharing all your knowledge and experience with us today. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Annette. Thanks for having us, Annette. Thanks, Annette. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to find out more about any of the information discussed in this podcast, you can access various links and resources in the episode description box located right here on your podcast player. Or you can contact the Medical Council of New South Wales via their website, mcnsw.org.au. You can also subscribe and hear more podcasts from the Medical Council of New South Wales via Wooshka, Apple Music, Spotify or wherever you enjoy your podcasts.